You're listening to a podcast from the Journal of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners. I'm Kim Curry, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal. Welcome to Here's the Issue, featuring our January 2021 issue of the Journal. In this podcast, I'll review the abstracts of the featured articles in this month's issue of the Journal. We'll begin this month with a joint publication that's featured in JAANP and also the Journal of the American Association of PAs. This article is by Kim Zuber and Jane Davis, and it's titled, The Changing Landscape of Nephrology, Physician Assistants, and Nurse Practitioners. Here's the abstract. Background. Physician assistants and nurse practitioners have expanded roles in nephrology because both the patient load and acuity of care needs of this population have increased. Purpose. To evaluate the job responsibilities, salaries, and benefits of PAs and NPs working in nephrology. Methods. Using the biannual survey from the National Kidney Foundation Council of Advanced Practitioners, data were collected and analyzed over the past decade. Results. Surveys of nephrology practitioners show the evolution of the dialysis centralized practitioner to one encompassing all aspects of nephrology, hospital, intensive care unit, research, office, and all types of dialysis. Salaries and benefits have increased to compensate for the expansion of responsibilities. Implications for practice. Physicians assistants and nurse practitioners in nephrology have the opportunity to use their skills and training in caring for this high-risk population. Next is an education feature by Mary Zonsius, Joanne Miller, and Karen Lamb. It's titled, An Innovative Course to Prepare Advanced Practice Registered Nurses to Spearhead Quality and Safety Initiatives for Older Adults. Here's the abstract. Current trends dictate that advanced practice registered nurses must be competent to address quality and safety issues specific to older adults. A gap analysis and review of key competencies in an adult gerontology APRN doctorate of nursing practice curriculum prompted the design and evaluation of an innovative online course, Quality and Safety for the Aging Adult. Course objectives align with key competencies, including graduate-level quality and safety education for nurses and the DNP essentials. The course purpose was to prepare adult gerontology APRN DNP students as leaders to promote quality and safety outcomes for aging adults. The six-step knowledge-to-action framework guided course development and evaluation. Select graduate-level CUSIN competencies were used to construct a 20-item quality and safety survey. This survey was used during week 1 and week 15 of the semester to evaluate students' preparation and confidence to perform key CUSIN competencies. Significant improvements between pre- and post-scores on the quality and safety survey were found across five classes. Students felt more prepared and confident to apply selected CUSIN competencies on course completion. Moreover, nearly 60% in primary care and nearly 35% in acute care of adult gerontology APRN students selected the older adult population for their DNP projects. The Quality and Safety for the Aging Adult course positively influenced five classes of adult gerontology APRN DNP students. Integrating cues and competencies with gerontology and quality safety content is an effective strategy to prepare APRNs to lead quality and safety initiatives in aging adults. This innovative online course offers a successful model for innovative DNP education of adult gerontology APRNs. 
Our next feature is a mixed method study. It's by April Capu, Elizabeth Borg-Card, Heather Jackson, Ruth Kleinpel, Jim Kendall, Buffy Krauser-Lapierre, Kirsten Labar, Mary Dietrich, Wendy Araya, Janelle Dell, Kate Payne, Jacqueline Ford, and Marilyn Debris. It's titled Assessing and Addressing Practitioner Burnout, Results from an Advanced Practice Registered Nurse Health and Wellbeing Study. Here's the abstract. Background. Numerous nursing and physician studies have reported the effects of workload, environment, and life circumstances contributing to burnout. Effects may include job dissatisfaction, poor quality of life, and associated negative patient outcomes. Although assessing clinician burnout to determine effective interventions has become a topic of great importance, there are minimal studies specific to advanced practice registered nurses. Purpose. This single-center study was conducted to assess the prevalence and impact of APRN burnout and to recommend targeted interventions toward improvement of overall health and well-being. Methods. A cross-sectional mixed methods design was used. The voluntary anonymous survey examined perceptions of wellness, inclusion, social support, personal coping mechanisms, and status of burnout. Results. The 78-question survey was sent to 1,014 APRNs and PAs with a 43.6% response rate for an N of 433. Of the respondents, 76.4% were nurse practitioners. Participants were identified as currently experiencing burnout, formerly burned out, or never having experienced burnout. Profiles were developed and similarities and differences between each group were compared. Of the 433 respondents, 40.4% reported having never experienced burnout, 33.3% reported they had formerly experienced burnout, and 26.3% reported they were currently experiencing burnout. Implications for practice. The results of the study identified that some APRNs report experiencing burnout at different times in their careers. Recommendations by participants to mitigate burnout included self-care, organizational promotion of health and well-being, career development, and leadership support. This study is one of the first to report on burnout among APRNs and potential interventions to build resilience. However, additional research is warranted. Our next feature is a quantitative research pilot study conducted by Laurel Short. It's titled Enhancing Migraine Self-Efficacy and Reducing Disability Through a Self-Management Program. Here's the abstract. Background. Chronic migraine is a primary headache disorder affecting about 3 to 7 million individuals in the United States. This condition is associated with significant individual and societal consequences, causing impaired function and high levels of healthcare utilization. Purpose. The aim of this quasi-experimental single cohort study was to determine if an eight-week outpatient self-management program for chronic migraine would decrease migraine disability and enhance self-efficacy. Methods. This was a prospective, single-cohort, pre- and post-intervention pilot study. Fifteen adults aged 18 to 65 years old who met the criteria for diagnosis of chronic migraine were enrolled in the study through convenient sampling. Participants participated in an evidence-based self-management program with multimodal formats, including verbal, written, video, and online materials. Outcome measures included migraine disability using the Migraine Disability Assessment Tool, headache self-efficacy using the headache management self-efficacy scale, acute medication use, and migraine frequency. Participants also completed a post-intervention survey to assess satisfaction. Results. 
findings showed a reduction in the migraine disability assessment tool score, acute medication use, and frequency of migraines. Outcomes also included an increase in the headache management self-efficacy scale scores and a trend of improved health behaviors. Acute medication use decreased by more than 50% and frequency of migraine and headache days reduced by close to 40%. Implications for practice. Despite high rates of disability, patient education and self-management programs for chronic migraine are not readily available. The findings of this study encourage use of a hybrid clinic and web-based self-management model to improve migraine disability and self-efficacy. Next, we have a qualitative research study by Amy Papermaster and Jane Demet champion It's titled, What is Curbside Consultation for the Nurse Practitioner? Here's the abstract. Background. Curbside or informal consultations between clinicians regarding patient care occur frequently in clinical practice. Evaluation of curbside consultation among nurse practitioners is limited. Purpose, to develop an understanding of nurse practitioner perceptions of the curbside consultation process. Methodological orientation, a qualitative descriptive design was used to assess the context of curbside consultations among nurse practitioners. Inductive content analysis was conducted and Atlas TI was used to organize the data. Sample, purpose of sampling was used to recruit 20 nurse practitioners within primary care and specialty settings. Conclusions, themes describing curbside consultation included the description of the curbside consultation process, advantages and disadvantages, documentation, legal liability, unspoken rules, and patient-centered engagement. There was a lack of consensus on the boundaries of the curbside consultation definition, including difficulty in distinguishing a curbside consultation from a formal consultation. Generally, the nurse practitioner acknowledges limitations and views the curbside consultation favorably as a helpful tool for receiving practical feedback and expanding learning, collegiality, and collaboration. Implications for practice. Findings provide insight regarding the common practice of curbside consultation in management of patients at the point of care, what it means to the NP, and a description of the breadth of the curbside consultation use. Given its potentially substantial impact on patient care, further assessment of the context of curbside consultation among NPs is obligatory. Next is an educational innovation written by Lindsay Davis, Amy Fathman, and Christine Colella. It's titled, An Immersive Clinical Experience to Create Sustainable Clinical Learning Opportunities for Nurse Practitioner Students. Here's the abstract. A significant increase in nurse practitioner program enrollment has resulted in a critical need for committed preceptors willing to offer clinical learning opportunities for students. Academic practice partnerships have been proposed as a strategy. This project evaluated the impact of a longitudinal, immersive clinical experience designed for nurse practitioner students in collaboration with two federally qualified health centers and an underserved clinic within an academic health center. The study used a pre- and post-survey method to determine the impact of an immersive clinical experience on preceptor perceptions of benefits and rewards, support, and commitment to the role. A statistically significant increase in preceptor perception of support was noted in three areas. Participants reported increased opportunity to share information with other preceptors, improved support from nursing faculty to help identify students' performance problems, and greater clarity in faculty responsibilities related to the preceptor role. 
Increases in perceptions of benefits and rewards and commitment to the preceptor role did not reach statistical significance. Immersive clinical experiences have the potential to improve the levels of preceptor support, commitment, and perceived opportunities for benefits and rewards, which may facilitate the development of high-quality, sustainable clinical learning opportunities for nurse practitioner students. Our next feature is a systematic review by Lauren Sherson and Renee Gregg. It's titled, Relationship of Pay for Performance and Provider Pay. Here's the abstract. Background. Policymakers and healthcare leaders search for a payment model to balance the interests of providers, patients, and payers. This has shifted reimbursement from a fee-for-service to pay-for-performance model. The fee-for-service model of reimbursement may lead to provider overuse. The pay-for-performance model incentivizes quality, not quantity, of care. However, the payer's reimbursement shift to pay-for-performance has not affected compensation of individual providers. Objectives. To explore the effects of payment compensation models on provider behavior and employment. Data sources. CINAHL, Cochrane, and EBSCO databases were searched. To ensure accuracy, a Prisma flow diagram was used. A thematic analysis was performed using 52 articles. Conclusions. Four themes emerged. Healthcare as an economic anomaly, the ability to incentivize value, ethics, and provider-employer-payer alignment. Basic economic principles are distorted in healthcare because of payment layers and competing goals. Although payment structure affects healthcare provider performance, the correlation is not understood. There is a lack of knowledge on several key areas. Healthcare provider behavioral research, how employment may be influencing existing healthcare provider attitudes and actions, how nurse practitioners differ from physicians, and pay for performance outcome data. There's also a lack of literature involving nurse practitioners in reimbursement. Implications for practice. Nurse practitioners must be included in compensation model research. Payment reform should address all individual healthcare provider compensation. Reforms will be limited if focus remains on payer organization reform and ignores healthcare provider compensation. As healthcare providers, it's imperative to understand how payers reimburse services to establish guiding principles for equitable and ethical compensation negotiations. We'll finish out this month with two clinical quality improvement reports, and the first one is by Monica Nandwani, John Clark, Claire Curiacos, and Eleanor Stevenson. It's titled, Impact of Nurse Practitioner Navigation on Access to Care for Patients with Refractory Gastroesophageal Reflux Disease. Here's the abstract. Background. Gastroesophageal reflux disease is a common digestive complaint that can negatively affect patients' quality of life and have serious complications if inadequately treated. Local problem. Facilitating prompt and efficient access to digestive care is imperative, especially given the current burden of gastrointestinal diseases such as GERD. Methods. A clinical team conducted a quality improvement study in which a nurse practitioner navigator performed a pre-consultation chart review for patients with refractory GERD referred to an esophagus center between August and December 2018. Interventions. Based on pre-consultation chart review, the NP navigator arranged for diagnostic testing and follow-up. Days from consultation to testing completion and establishment of plan were tracked and compared with historic controls. The NP Navigator documented time spent for chart review and care coordination. Results. The median number of days from consultation to testing completion for patients who underwent NP Navigation and required diagnostic testing was 33.5 as compared with 64.5 for historic controls who required testing but received usual care. 
The median number of days from consultation to establishment of a management plan was 52 for patients who underwent NP navigation as compared with 97 for historic controls who did not. The mean amount of time spent by the NP navigator for chart review and care coordination was 17.5 minutes. Conclusions. Incorporation of NP navigators into gastroenterology practices offers a potential solution for timelier patient care delivery. Our last feature this month is by Rita Wormers, Tammy Ostrowski, and Deborah Hagler. It's titled Healthcare Provider Use of Motivational Interviewing to Address Vaccine Hesitancy in College Students. Here's the abstract. Background. Vaccine-preventable diseases significantly influence the health and academic success of college students. Despite the known negative impact of these diseases, vaccine rates routinely fall short of national goals and recommendations. Although vaccination decisions are complex, a recommendation from a healthcare provider is one of the key motivators for individuals receiving a vaccine. Motivational interviewing, a counseling approach primarily used to address substance abuse, can be applied to other health-related behaviors. Local problem. Despite previous quality improvement efforts aimed at increasing vaccine rates for influenza, human papillomavirus, and meningitis B, vaccinations at a large university health center have been well below benchmarks set by Healthy People 2020. Methods. This study was guided by the theory of planned behavior and included motivational interviewer training and regular reinforcement for healthcare providers to address vaccine hesitancy with college students. Results. Influenza vaccination rates improved, but HPV vaccine rates remained stable and meningitis B vaccine rates decreased compared with the previous year. Clinicians demonstrated a significant increase in knowledge of motivational interviewing techniques after a targeted educational intervention. Repeat measures indicate the potential for sustained improvement when ongoing reinforcement is provided. Conclusion. Motivational interviewing can be an effective part of a strategy to increase vaccination rates. That concludes our abstracts for this month. Thanks to all of our listeners, and be sure to look for more podcasts from the Journal of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners.